But we, when we talked last time, we did discuss a little bit about NMNH and NRH. And you said they were, they did appear to be more effective, although they use slightly different paths. Have you had any? Had, have you had time to look at them at all and seen any more? Did you have any other results? Yeah, we don't know. So we we have um, used them in cell culture quite a bit, and uh, sort of um, confirming what you just said that that they're they're far more effective at boosting NAD levels, which is what other people have reported. Um, we haven't used them in mice, but there's two groups that have and have reported those results. And it's the same is true there, where the tissue levels go through the roof with uh, with these reduced forms, uh, much, much higher than than you see with nicotinamide riboside or mononucleotide. Um, and when we've also confirmed in our own hands in cell culture now that the uh, they do go through a different pathway. They don't require the nicotinamide riboside kinases and go through adenosine kinase, uh, which is higher capacity that appears in some cells. And that, that may be the reason, just that the kinase is no longer limiting in, in the NAD boosting. But I think they're, they're extremely exciting for the future. This may be one of the ways to go to, um, to get around some of the problems that we've had in humans, getting good effects with the smaller doses that we can feel confident using. So what is the limiting thing about NMNH or NRH? I mean, is it difficult to make or is it expensive or toxic? Um, there's a, I mean, a greater fear of it getting oxidized and, and there's a lot of momentum behind NR and NMN because of all the safety trials that have been done, right? I mean, it's, it's a really big hurdle to consider jumping over to be the one that has to do the phase one trials and make sure that everything's okay before you can try administering these molecules. Um, but I think ultimately I'm not sure there's anything that's going to stop them from being tried. I think it's just that at this moment that there's a couple molecules available with good safety data, and then there's a couple with unknowns, with unknown safety data. Yeah. Oh, so so what are you what are you looking at now? What's kind of the next thing in your uh, in your lab that you're studying at the moment? I mean, we're we're really interested in trying to understand the subcellular localization of NAD. So in particular, we you know our group and a couple of others uh, in in 2020 uh, found the transporter that puts NAD inside mitochondria, which had been unknown up to that point. Uh, and so that's that's the biggest focus for my group right now is, is understanding what the consequences of that are and whether it's mitochondrial NAD levels or cytosolic NAD levels that are really determining some of these benefits. Um, and so far in our liver regeneration models, which we've studied a lot, it seems like just pushing the NAD into the mitochondria gives you a lot, a lot of the benefit that you see with supplementation. So I think that's that's one potential way forward in the future. If that turns out to be true in other models, is you know finding ways to shift NAD into the mitochondria might be all we need to do, rather than than driving up levels in the whole body. <laughs> right, because I remember you did a study where you you knocked out the transporter, right, and then th there was like zero oxygen uptake. Was that correct? Right. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was in cultured cells. But yeah, exactly. The, the the NAD levels in the mitochondria go to almost nothing when they don't have this transporter, and they they basically just can't respire. They survive on glycolysis. Yeah, I I mean the, the mice survive. I, I mean the mitochondria don't do glycolysis, do they? No, no. Yeah, the, right. the, the mitochondria are still there structurally. We can actually rescue them. We can put the transporter back in, and they immediately start working again. So the the rest of the mitochondria is there, just doesn't have any NAD in it, and that stops it from generating energy. So it doesn't do anything. Interesting. Have you tried uh, like upregulating the transporter 
Right. Yeah, so, so those, those are the experiments we're doing right now. And in the liver regeneration model, we are seeing an improvement with just upregulating the transporter. So we're not increasing the amount of NAD in the liver tissue, we're just shifting it into the mitochondria and they can regenerate better. And so mm. that's the model that, I mean, that's the paradigm we're trying to develop to see if it, if it holds up in other scenarios and if, if this is going to be what, what we can focus on, if, if the mitochondrial pool really is the critical one. And the, the attractive thing about that to me is that the mitochondrial pool goes up slower. When you, when you boost NAD levels, it's easier to push up the cytosolic pool. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it may be that the reason we need such massive doses to some degree is to push the cytosolic pool so high that some spills into the mitochondria where if we can just induce some to go into the mitochondria, that might give you the same benefit without, without needing these mega doses. Mm. Yeah, that would make sense. So, but you, yeah, I, I don't know. How, how would you boost this apart from doing it genetically? In... Yeah, I mean, you know, the hope is <laughs> that there's some sort of a, uh, activator out there. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the actual family of transporters that this, one belongs to uh, typically uh, counter transport things. So there's something that being exchanged probably for NAD. And so we can also look at ways, we, we need to figure out what, the, what that metabolite is. So the, <laughs> there's a few steps here left to be done, uh, but knowing what it is, we may also be able to think about targeting the pathways for that metabolite to try to get more of it into the mitochondria and then swap for NAD. So, and just for my confirmation, so the genes that define this transporter are in the nucleus, right? They're not in the mitochondria. Right. Yeah. So, so, so we kind of make the transporter and then it moves into the mitochondria. Yeah. That's, that's the majority of mitochondrial genes are that way. <laughs> yeah. Where they, uh, yeah. They're, they're synthesized in the, in the cytosol and imported into the mitochondria. Is there anything else I should have asked you? Um, well, just uh, we're doing a human study, or we proposed a human study. Actually, it's not funded yet <laughs> to do the uh, the tracing, that, like in the mice, to look and see if the oral route. Uh, oh, right. I mean, if you have a couple of minutes, can, can, is there anything you can tell me about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, not a whole lot I can say other than than we're planning to do it. <laughs> um, but I do think that's I think that's a critical, and and moving into large animal models, I guess, is the other the other thing my lab's looking at now, especially for heart failure. We're looking at doing it in pigs. Um, just because they're they're much more similar to humans, and we can actually mess with the dosing and ask this question, right? With a with a dose that might not be safe, we can still see if it's effective in the pigs. <laughs> yes, and it will be interesting to see whether their their liver can handle it or not as well. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. We we'll, would we'll certainly be monitoring that closely. <laughs> yeah, because we'll be going well over the threshold where human livers wouldn't wouldn't like it. So. It's an interesting yeah. question. I mean, the other argument is that you know, we don't know this toxicity threshold for nicotinamide riboside or mononucleotide. It's just inferred from the fact that other NAD precursors have it. It could be that somehow being ribosylated, you know, prevents them from doing whatever you know, the problem is. Okay. What are the symptoms of this liver toxicity? I mean, it's typically measuring aminotransferases in the blood. So there's a, a alanine aminotransferase and aspartate aminotransferase are, are highly abundant in hepatocytes. And when they rupture, they release those enzymes into the blood and they're easy to measure. So that's typically what people look for. Okay. AST and ALT, the, the, the one. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, the, but the other thing is, uh, yeah, I mean, five grams of NMN would be quite expensive. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, to take, take that much. Okay. Although I don't uh, know how, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah, I just don't know how much of the prices in, in in this business model, how much of the prices, you know, the marketing and delivery, and if if they needed to scale up overall, hmm. uh, if that proved to be the effective dose, I meant I don't think the price would scale with <laughs> with the increase in hmm. dose. I think they could probably make it only fifty percent more expensive and give that dose if they wanted to. Yes. Yeah. That's true. I mean, it, a lot of it's got to be in the packaging and shipping and all that stuff. Okay, excellent. So, uh, Dr. Bauer, thank you so much uh, for joining us today and explaining all what you're doing. So, can where can people find out more information about what you're doing at your lab, and uh, then I guess find out about this human trial when when you move forward with it? <laughs> um, well, certainly the, the the human trial, we will uh, be publishing results and publicizing them as fast as we can get them, um, and so I think. Honestly, yeah, I'm not. I don't have much of a Twitter presence these days. <laughs> I think looking for papers, or, or you know, if Google me at UPenn, and you can find the lab web page. Um, we try to keep uh, keep that as up to date as we can. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, we will link to those in the uh, in the notes. So, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.